Good morning. It is second Sunday, Psalm Sunday. So you could be opening your Bible to Psalm 119. We have been for a long time now, about a year and a half, working our way through Psalm 119. It, uh, it's the second Sunday of every month. It's a break from whatever, you know, wherever we're at in our normal study, just to take a, a moment to look at what we can get out of the psalm. Do you have a clicker? I can click if you want me to click. Um, and we also use it as, a, as an opportunity to, to grow and to train men. So, okay. I think your daughter had it. She might have walked off with it. Last time I saw it, it was in... And Cynthia's hand slash mouth. So uh, just look on the floor. It might be under your under your seat. I could be anywhere. I know how toddlers are. I've had them. This is the work of my kids. They were, they were doing art while Cynthia was trying to eat this. This one looks like, I think of both soccer players. This one, I don't know if you can see it from where you are. It looks like gangs in New York. Like there's nails coming out the bottom of her shoes. Those are soccer cleats, but that's 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 war style or a thunderdome somebody's going in that's not at all what we were here for we were talking about psalm 119 yeah uh so we use this as an opportunity yeah to hear from different people to train some of our men as they're as they're growing and and they're and they're preaching and teaching and and also we invite some of the other pastors in so we just do a lot on these sundays and i know they're everyone's favorite sunday uh, not for any of those reasons, but just because we have food on second on second Sundays. I don't care about all the rest of it. We got food. All right. Psalm 119. As you can see, we started in verse 137 today. Um, I'll go ahead and read through this, this section and then we'll we'll pray and jump in. Psalm 119, 137. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised, yet do not I forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. Heavenly Father, do give us understanding uh, as we open your word this morning and understanding that will translate into our life and that will guide the way that we live. Uh, we want to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, as, as we've mentioned, every one of these stanzas starts with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and occasionally we talk about them. For, for this week, um, the Hebrew letter is written out phonetically in English for you right there. It's Zadi. Uh, and, and actually, I'll come back to that in just a second because I put the slides in this order. So we'll do this first. Um, so this is the psalm. And just as I was reading through it, I just wanted to take a snapshot of just a simple study method. Uh, I was just looking at it. And sometimes these stanzas can be difficult because sometimes you get eight verses that say eight different things and there's almost no you know, theme to it, but I just read through and I was looking for repeating words. And, and then I just start highlighting things. And when you, when you highlight things in a different color and you just see words that repeat, it's like sometimes 
things just come together and they get real easy. Up at the top, you have righteous in those first few verses. Down at the bottom, you have righteousness. Right in the middle, he talks about forgetting. And then you've got the testimonies at the beginning and the end, but you have some form of God's word listed in almost every verse. And then you have everlasting. So really, you have a section on, on the righteous. You have something in the middle that breaks that up, talking about forgetting or, or being forgotten. And then it goes back to righteousness. And then you can start to fill in you know, a lot of stuff. If you get in the habit, if you don't want to write in your Bible, then you can do it online. Uh, you know, I, I do it on my computer or sometimes I'm at work and I got some time. I'll do it on my phone. I, I can screenshot a section of verses. I can just start using my finger. I can draw, and you know, you can write. I can circle stuff. I almost gave you that version, but it's messier because it's just me circling words. And you just see what starts to flow together and what fits. Uh, so if you're not, if you're not uh, accustomed to studying the Bible, then an easy way to study the Bible is one, to look for repeating words. Or two, if you can just identify sentences, uh, you could just highlight the, you know, the noun and the verb all the way through a passage, all your nouns in one color and then your, your verb for the sentence in another. That would give you a simple breakdown of what's being said, especially when you start dealing with some of what Paul writes and it gets long and, and complicated and you're like 14 verses, one sentence. What is he saying? And you go, okay, well, here's the key verb. Here's the key thing. And then you can build it out from there. All right. So this letter, though, when, we, when we're talking about Zadi, it represents righteousness. So the, this is something cool about the Hebrew alphabet. They have meaning to all of it. To us, we're like B, it's a letter, that's it, end of the story, A, B, C, nothing else to it. But these letters actually have, have shape, they have character to them, they have form, they have characteristics to them. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff to it. So... It, this particular letter represents righteousness. It means, a, a, you know, righteous. There's a word in Hebrew that is a, a, a tzaddik, which means a righteous person. That also has become a, a fairly common name in the Middle East. When we lived in Pakistan, our pastor's name was tzaddik, um, tzaddik Masih, which actually literally translated his name was righteous Christian. Uh, um, so it's a common you know, word throughout the Old Testament. It's even a common name now. Uh, interestingly, the, the second uh, idea behind this letter is also hunting. I say that the letter itself looks like uh, a fish hook, this armor, or, or a net for hunting, a net that's being tossed out, especially in that book print form that you see down there at the beginning. Uh, so there's two interesting ideas that flow out of it. I think they, you know, when, when you do a quick, Think about what the Bible says related to righteousness. Uh, you, don't go, you don't have to work too hard to see how hunting is, is actually connected to righteousness. Because if you want to be a righteous man, it requires study. It requires work. It requires seeking uh, for wisdom as for hid treasure. So you actually have to be a hunter to end up as a sadiq, to end up as a righteous man. You have to go after it. Now, I've never hunted anything in my life. Uh, I've, my brother does, I've heard stories from others. Apparently you, you go hide and then you just wait a really long time until a deer just happens to walk in front of you and then you shoot it. Apparently that's it. But I guess sometimes that takes a long time. Like deer don't just come walking out in front of guys with guns all the time. Uh, but the same thing is true about becoming a righteous person. It takes a long time. It actually takes more work than hunting, because in hunting, you just sit there. I think you play, um, you know, Candy Crush until a deer shows up. 
It's like you do it anyway. Do you any deer? But becoming a righteous man takes takes work. It takes the work of hunting. Uh, you can see a couple verses here in scripture where that word is used the very first time in Genesis 9, 6. And the, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. That's that, that word there being translated as just and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Same thing is, is said in chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Noah, come thou and all the house into the ark. For I have seen, uh, for, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. And then uh, same thing is said about Abraham. And Abraham drew near and said, well, what will, or wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? In this case, actually, Abraham is talking to the Lord and is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and their destruction. And his question is, would you destroy the righteous man? So that comes up throughout the Old Testament over and over. Um, but then you also have, have this, Deuteronomy 32.4. He is the rock. This is speaking of Jehovah, our God. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. It is in his very nature, it is the very character of God himself to be righteous. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it here. Um, but, but the cool thing about what, what scripture teaches us is that God is perfectly pure and just and right that is who he is man is not but we can become righteous when we accept his righteousness and then live a life that reflects his righteousness and so we too actually can become the righteous in this earth we are the sadiq or the sadikim if we pluralize it to all of us we can become the righteous we are to be the righteous in the earth living and reflecting the righteousness of god here on the planet. Now, this is uh, one other interesting thing about uh, just Hebrew ideas about their alphabet. You have Sadiq there on the left side of the screen, and then you have Aleph on the right side of the screen. Aleph is, is, is often used to symbolize or represent God, the beginning, the initiator. It's the beginning of their alphabet. From there flows everything else. And so they say that that Aleph is, is representative of Almighty God, the creator, the originator of all things. And then they look at the, the Sadiq, the righteous, also as the bride of Aleph. I know we don't, this is a weird concept because we don't think like X and T are married. Like we can't think about that in our language. But one of the reasons is that when it's written, uh, conveniently the, the uh, you know, the protrusions of of one fit into the indentions of the other. So like they match up like a normal bride and groom would uh, kind of in that sense. But the other idea is just that, that this, exactly what we were saying, that the, that the righteous ones in the earth, and this is cool because this comes out of the Hebrew scripture, is the bride of the creator. That's built into their Hebrew alphabet. Now, does that sound familiar to something you've, you've studied and heard in the New Testament? That we... The church, the righteous, are the bride of Jesus Christ, who is the word of God, who is the creator. Uh, and so we are the, the bride of, uh, of the almighty Jesus Christ. So that's a cool thing. This is built into their, into their alphabet as well. One other interesting thing is that they, they letters have value as well. Um, so this is the 18th letter of the alphabet, um, but also this very, like the letter itself, 
holds the value of 90. Don't ask me how to how they figure that out. I don't jump that deep into it. I just look at what some other rabbi wrote, someone who knows this stuff. Um, but anyway, Sadi is has this numerical value of 90, the righteous and 90. It is interesting when you look in the Old Testament that Sarah was 90 when she gave birth to the promised child, to the, to the righteous son, the one that came from the Lord, the one that would become one of the ultimate pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, you can't put a whole lot of stock into some of this stuff. This comes out of you know Jewish tradition and stuff that they've kind of built and added in. But then again, it is interesting that the language that God chose to build his scripture in has so many pictures and so many layers and so many levels to it. Uh, it's also one of eight Hebrew letters that is written with crowns, and you can see that on the top of the letter uh, here on the screen. Uh, only eight letters for whatever reason. Again, I, didn't, I can't explain all the details, but the scribes started adding crowns to them. So there is a crown for the righteous as well. Does that sound familiar? And so that is also an interesting thing. And this is the very last, if you were to work your way through the alphabet, this is the very last of the crowned letters. So their, their alphabet in terms of, uh, of the crowning letters, righteousness is the end of it. Now there'll be others that come after. And just like uh, we, the righteous, will be the last of the, the crowned righteous in this earth and we will be taken out. And there'll be others that'll come after. There's still an alphabet to finish. There's still history that'll go on. But so much interesting stuff that comes just out of uh, letters. There's, there's the crowns again. All right. Did you want to see that? I'm sorry. It's the same picture. The, the words are a little blurry. And there's the Hebrew way that they look at their word, their letters. Probably none of those words mean anything to you. Yad and Kots and none. All right. Very good. So we're just going to look at three concepts. Really, it's, you know, it's two concepts with a, with a pause in the middle for the third concept. We'll talk for a minute about righteous. Um, here's what, here's what David tells us in chapter, I'm sorry, verse 137, righteous art thou, O Lord. It's the same idea that we saw in Deuteronomy. It's just this declaration that God is righteous. It is who he is. It is part of his nature. It's not something that he has to earn or maintain or keep. It is the, the fact that he alone is simply righteous in contrast to us as men who are not. And upright are thy judgments. And then he says in 138, thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. So God is righteous and his word is righteous also is, is what David begins to declare in this psalm on righteousness. Because if you're going to start anywhere with righteousness, it has to begin with God. It has to begin with the fact that God is righteous. But notice that the nature of God and the nature of his word, they are the same. They're both declared to be righteous. And this is a, a, an important idea, an important concept, and we say it all the time, but God cannot be separated from his word. You have to have a right understanding of the word of God, as well as a right understanding of the character and nature of God himself. And the word of God is righteous. So we can't, lower the Bible, we can't lower the word of God to be anything other than what God declares it is, the very words of God. 
inseparable from the very character and nature and, and person of God himself. And that means that God's word, just like God can withstand all tests. Throw whatever you want at the righteous and they know how to handle the test. And so the word of God will withstand all tests that man can bring at it. Being a righteous man then uh, is related to God's word. The only way that we will be righteous men and women, of course, will be when we are tied to God's word. So those who live according to God's word will be righteous. For faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's only through the beginning, uh, our faith begins, our, our salvation, our, our being purchased into his, into his righteousness begins with the word of God itself. You can't, you can't begin to consider yourself a righteous person if you have never heard the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ's blood spilt at Calvary is the payment so that we ourselves can also become righteous because nothing you could do can get you to heaven. There are no works. There are no, um, you know, scales, good and bad. Uh, you know, if there were, we would all try. Uh, and some of us still do. But the bottom line is that if you want to be a righteous man, it begins with his word. So you have, to, you have to believe in faith. You have to put your faith in what the word says. But living a righteous life works the same way. I know, very, very simple and very basic. But often the things that we need to be reminded of the most are the things that are the most simple and the most basic. Because we don't struggle day to day, you know, with, I don't know. Trying to figure out who Melchizedek is. Sam covered that a couple of weeks ago. Now all you do is I just think about who Melchizedek is. You, what you struggle with is waking up in the morning and opening the word of God. And then letting whatever he gives you permeate your life. Meditating on his word and then taking it with you and putting it into practice in your life. That's what we struggle with. So we like to say, some people like to say, I won't say all of us, not all we. Some people like to say, only God, only God can judge me, right? Only God can judge me. Well, <laughs> um, it's true that God can judge you, and he will. He declares in his word that he is righteous and he will judge you. And, and why, why is it that even, you know, people who probably aren't Christians and may not have any desire to walk with the Lord, why is it, you know, that you know, anyone, Tupac says it, right? You know, I mean, anyway, you can get people who live a life that are completely contrary to the Lord. Why, do, why is it that they know that God can judge? Because at the core of that, that statement is this, God is righteous. Since he is right, he is the standard, he is the one that gets to judge. But according to this passage, his word is also righteous. Which means his word also judges. In fact, it will be by the word that he judges. Which brings us to an interesting position. What about those righteous among us who have and cherish and study the righteous word? Can you judge? Can Chris Miller take the word of God and, uh, and, and look at it and say, you know what? The word of God says that um, the righteous men won't murder. And then he's like, James, you need uh, to quit murdering. You're, you're not a righteous man. You know, I know that's a silly and extreme example but is that is that legit would he have the authority the authority to speak the righteous word and to judge me yeah yeah in fact it's even instructed and commanded especially for pastors 
also for elders, for those of you who are leaders. The word was giving that we might reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering. You want to get scared out of your out of your wits if you're a, if you're a leader of anything. Study shepherds and watchmen in the Old Testament, not the watchers. But just the watch. look at what Ezekiel says about those who are had the responsibility of being a watchman, and and hand in hand with. With leading the people came the responsibility of making righteous judgment and declaring it to the people. Warn the people. Blow the trumpets. And here's what happens when we judge. Hebrews, did I put the verse up here? Go. No? Hebrews 4.12. There it is. Uh, the, the, the word judges by dividing. This is how, this is how righteousness works. The word of God is quick in power and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrows and a discerner of the thought and the intents of the hearts. Did you keep up? No, that's best. <laughs> it divides. In fact, we see that from the very beginning. God himself divided light from darkness. He judged and he called one good. He called one righteous. He divided uh, you know, day and night. He, he divided waters from waters. And every time that that righteousness is applied, there is a division. Because when a righteous standard is set, you fall on one side or the other. You either fall on the side of the sword where the Lord is standing, or you fall on the side of the sword where he is not. You either fall towards righteousness or unrighteousness. And this is the, word, the way that judgment always works. And this is the way that righteousness works. Righteousness comes into your life and it begins to divide. It begins to point out areas. It begins to work on parts of your life. And it begins to cut. And it says, let's take this little section of your life, slice. How does it fall out? Your thought life, your, your, your phone use life, your, your whatever, your parenting, your, 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 you know, your husbanding, your, your, your wifing, your dating, you know, whatever relationship you're in. And the word of God will say, will create division. Is the word of God divisive? Yeah, righteousness is divisive. Righteousness is device, and that's what judgments are all about. Even we, when we stand before the Lord to be judged, what will happen? Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, divided out as so as by fire, there will be a division that happens. Some will remain, some will not. Rapture, what is that? It's a righteous judgment. Some will, there will be a division. Some will go, some will stay. Sheep and goats judgment. Some go on this side, some go on that side. So that's the way judgment works. So the question then becomes this, what side of the word do you fall on? Do you fall on the side where God is standing or do you fall on the side uh, where God is not standing? Psalm 12, six, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. That same idea comes up here in our text, but the words are pure and therefore the words have the right to judge and, and to uh, and to try us. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to them that put their trust in him. The next verse, next slide, I mean. So this is it. And we want to take a pause here for just a minute. When we talk about righteous uh, judgments and the word being righteous, then this is one of the questions that I'll, I'll give us five or 10 minutes just to get together in groups and, and, and talk about and pray about. Do you love the judgment that righteousness brings? Because that's a hard one. We don't often love the, the judgment, the division. 
Or maybe another way to approach it is what I just asked. Where do you fall? Are, what areas of your life fall on the wrong side of righteous division? Maybe you need to take a few minutes and, and talk to someone around you and get an accountability partner for certain areas in your life. Uh, maybe you need to say, you know what? I don't even, I don't even have judgment in my life because I don't even spend time in the world. I don't know what the word says. Maybe that's it. But let's take five, five or seven minutes. Let's get in groups with the people around us. Uh, and let's take a few minutes to talk through these first few verses and, and, and these concepts here that the word of God is righteous, God is righteous. And then he talks about purity there in verse 140. So take those top three verses. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Does that make sense? Another question you could ask, I'll throw this in there, is do you love purity? Because the righteous love purity. All right. So let's take a few minutes. Let's, let's walk through those verses. And maybe there's something different that you saw in those verses that God is talking to you about. Uh, well, then share that with your group and, and encourage them or, or ask for help, however you need it. I want to bring your attention back. I want to get us through the chapter, then I'll let you finish talking and praying with your group. So God is righteous. His word is righteous. Verse 140, thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. And the truest test to know if you love the word of God is if you love the judgment that it brings, if you love purity, uh, if you love being separated apart from the things in your life that are unpure. That is a, a very true test of your, of your heart for the word of God. Next, verse 141, I am small and despised, yet do not I forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights, and then the, the righteousness of thy testimonies is, an everla is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. So the next thing that uh, I want to talk about real quickly is right here in the middle where, where David talks about being forgotten. So that I, I'm small and despised. First of all, it says in verse 139 that his enemies have forgotten the words of God. And if you want to know how to become an enemy of God, that's the answer right there. When you forget God's words, you will become his enemy. Now, you may be his child, and that will never change. But in practice, in the function of your life, if you have forgotten God's word, you will live as and function as an enemy of God. So if you don't want to be God's enemy, if you want to be a friend of God, then you'll remember his words. David is a friend of God because he loved the words of God. So the enemies of God, they always, they forget the words of God. They have no idea what God is saying. Uh, and so therefore, again, it will make you uh, an enemy of the Lord. But consider your friends for just a second as well. The people you interact with, the people you're around, are they friends of God? Do you put friends of God into your life intentionally, purposefully? Are those the kind of people that you are trying to get around you? Are you surrounding yourself mostly with people who remember God's word? Because we need them. We are instructed to have regular relationship, interaction with, with other, with other you know, men or women that love God's word, that can sharpen us. Yes, we need evangelistic opportunity in our life as well. But you need Bible study in your life. You need regular gathering together with other believers in a smaller setting where you can do what we do in these you know, five-minute breakouts, and you can get encouraged in the Word together. So you need friends who remember God's Word. 
And if all of your friends have forgotten God's word, well, you know what they say, birds of a feather. Eventually, you too will live like, and we'll forget God's word and you'll live like it. So then he goes on, and, and I like this verse. I feel like in every way I identify. I am small and despised. I'm like, yep. <laughs> I, told, I told some people yesterday, we were back when we were uh, getting ready to go to the mission field, we were at a pastor's house on a Saturday night, pastor we had just met down in the South. And he said, hey, by the way, in the South, preachers wear suits. Did you bring your suit with you? Because I was preaching in their church the next morning. I said, nope. I didn't bring a suit. He's like three piece and a tie. I was like, I don't have any of that. <laughs> and he said, uh, well, you're, you're small for a man. You're the same size as my high school son. You can borrow one of his. And I'm like, dang, bro. I am small and despised. Just because I don't have a suit. He backed off. I don't know if he was joking all along or if he just lightened up. Every other man in the church basically had a suit on. I did not preach in a suit. He didn't ask me to wear the suit from his son. Um, um, but anyway, um, being forgotten and being despised is also a part of life. In fact, when you hold to a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview, you will be despised. And, and the further we move towards the, the rapture of Christ, uh, the more and more this will become true because the world will move further and further away from a righteous uh, lifestyle and a righteous position. And so you will be despised. If you start opening your mouth and talking to your coworkers about what, what you truly believe and about what the Bible says, they'll be like, you really believe that? You really believe that God made man and woman? No, that's not right, because we know men can be whatever they want. Women can be whatever you want. You can't define a woman anymore. And you'll be despised for holding to a simple biblical principle. In fact, a simple scientific principle that we all held to uh, for millennia, uh, right? Or whatever. Or whatever. You, know, you could put any, anything into that space. But the only shield that you have is actually to continue to stand on and hold to God's word. I mean, the world is, you know, you can either fit in with the world or you can fit in with God. And to fit in with God means that you'll be despised by the world. I teach in an academic setting. And, uh, you know, so things like that come up like all the time, every week. And uh, if you're an academic and you think that God created the earth and that the history of man is 6,000 years old, then you're, you're an idiot. You're despised. That's, clear. That's what God teaches us. Right? So what do you do? Well, you can get beat down and depressed over that, or you can just hold on to God's word and know that in, in the long run, uh, it continues to work out. God just continues to make a mockery of man's wisdom. A couple verses here. Ecclesiastes 9.16, then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised. Even, you know, we, we despise everything that we can, even wisdom, if it comes from the wrong person. You're like, that's a good word, but that guy, he's beneath me, so... It no longer matters. Uh, but wisdom is better than all of it, but you'll still be despised. When I, when I give wisdom, you know what? It's despised. All right. Uh, but being despised puts you in good company. Isaiah 53.3 says that it was the Lord himself who was despised and rejected. And so actually, you, you want to be despised. 
for the right reasons. If you're standing for righteousness and for truth, then you will be despised. And that is okay. That is good company to be in. Uh, so are there areas in your life where you are being despised simply for standing up for truth? Do you have relationships in your life where people are, are where you, you're mocked, you're made fun of, you're ridiculed just because you continue to tell them the truth? If you do, be encouraged. You're in good company. It's a good place to be. If you don't, be worried. It probably means you haven't said as much as you should. God is opening doors and giving you opportunity, and you probably haven't used them. If all, your, if all of your coworkers love you and think, well, he's just a good guy, well, you've probably never pulled out the righteous standard then. And there are times, and I'm not saying you just walk around swinging a sword like, you're unrighteous, you're unrighteous. You know, for me, it'd be like, I'd go to work, I'd be like, you're gay, wah! You're gay too. Well, you're all gay. You're all gay. And you're living with your boyfriend. You know, it's like, that's everyone I work with. I'm building relationships and I'm loving the people I work with. But you know what? When I get the opportunity to have these conversations, we have conversations and they don't like it. Uh, but be reminded, they took up stones to, to stone Jesus when he declared righteousness to them. Next slide. I don't know if this is working anymore. I keep pushing it. Nothing happens. This is cool, though, because this is what keeps happening. Um, we just keep discovering stuff that proves the Bible true. Sam sent this out to us earlier in the week. And so I just I grabbed the, the, the address is there at the bottom. So if you want it, it's on the PowerPoint. You'd be able to get it. But this is a screen grab from the title of the article. Another discovery affirms the historicity of the Bible. And this keeps happening. In fact, this morning, as I was reading through articles, I, there was another one that just came up today. Uh, bones that were found in a cave in Bulgaria changed the way that we look at, uh, you know, the dispersion of man and that man was together and then they were apart. And that's changing everything. And you go, huh, if you would just read, you know, like, say, Genesis 6 through 11, you would get those answers. And, and, and over time, the more we discover we keep finding out that, oh, the Bible is historically true. It is the only shield against being despised. And you may be despised for a lot of reasons. You don't have the right clothes or the right look or the right hair or the right shoes or you're too short or you're too fat or you're too big or you're too tall or whatever for all kinds of physical reasons. And you know what? That's a different topic and we can talk about it. God can help you uh, settle your heart through all of that. But if you're going to be despised, be despised for righteousness sake and then say, you know what? And I'm going to stand with it. And God will say, you know what? Then I will be your shield. And your, my word will be your shield. And the chapter ends. I'll just give you a summary here and then give you the last five minutes with righteousness again. Um. God's righteousness is everlasting, and the righteousness of his testimonies are also everlasting, is what we get in these last two verses here. So they go on forever. They're faithful. They're unchanging. God and his word can be trusted today just as much as they could uh, at any other point in history. The words that God delivered uh, to, to Adam or to David you know, or, to, or to Peter are as, as same, as, as sound as they were the day they were delivered. So you still have them. So the question becomes, what do I need to make my life complete? What are the gaps? What's, what, what am I missing? What am I longing for? What do you need to feel like you can go on, even in the midst of trouble and anguish? Well, what David said is, give me understanding and I shall live. 
That's how he summarized a, a, a stanza on righteousness. I'm despised, but God's word can still be my shield. So here's the questions. When things are hard, does God's word excite you? When things get really hard, do we, do, we, do we run away from God's word? Do we start seeking other ways? And do you desire understanding as much as you desire life? So that we have about six minutes. I'll let you guys get back into groups uh, to talk through these last few ideas. Uh, if there's areas in your life where you're being despised, if there's areas that are difficult, you, just, you know what? It is hard. It, it, I mean, it sucks when people don't like you. Maybe you need someone to pray with you over that. Maybe you don't have those and you say, I just need to go tell someone truth and be despised. So, all right, back into your groups. You'll dismiss from your groups in about five or six minutes. Somebody will stay tuned in or whenever. Love you guys.